Hello, 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 beautiful people. We are back. It is, uh, we didn't realize at the opening of last episode that it was our episode 10, and we didn't have like a celebration. We should have popped some champagne on the <laughs> podcast, but we did not. Welcome back to episode 11. Uh, this is the post-Stuttgart episode, and uh, we got a doozy for you today. This is going to be a fun one. We uh, we threw out an Ask Me Anything last night, or a couple nights ago, and it absolutely went crazy, so... We got some great questions. Thanks, sir, everybody who sent in your questions. Uh, a lot of cool stuff to cover today. And uh, I guess we'll start with the uh, the less interesting stuff and, and recap last week's regionals. But uh, how was your week there, Karen? I was all right. I uh, unfortunately had to go to a funeral today. Uh, but lot, around lots of friends, recording this, played lots of Pokemon today. So I definitely lifted my spirits. But other than that, great, great week. Lovely. Yeah, no, it always sucks growing up and having to go to funerals and stuff, but at least yeah. Pokemon took the edge off a little bit for you. Um, yeah, 100%. Did you, play any, did you play any events last week? I don't remember. Uh, No, I took the week. Wait, did I go to a, Was the League Cup last week the one face-to-face? I can't even remember. No, it was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yeah, then no, I didn't play in any events. <laughs> okay, nice. Good. Nice time off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely felt a little bit burnt out uh, lately. Uh, just been, like, trying to do content i play tournaments like traveling i also coach basketball so definitely a well-needed break for me uh last weekend yeah you kind of go through that like you go on and off a little bit like i do it all the time this weekend i actually had the opposite i had like a big uh itch to play so i went out and played like i played league challenge and banana games on wednesday uh (laughs) it was like a 33 person league challenge i normally would never go to that but managed to get third of that one and play the uh league cup managed to uh top eight but i got bounced and then uh on Sunday, I went to another challenge with uh, with Guardy actually, and came oh, came third again. I think at five one. So I don't know. Like normally, challenges that I would not personally go to, I really felt like going to. So I don't know. Sometimes you get hit with the wave, you get the itch to play, and like I guess when you're when you're feeling good, you're playing well. It's uh, it's a bit contagious, right? Like I I'd gone through a long yeah. stretch where I was kind of not playing the best, and I was losing a challenge, losing at cups, and I just didn't want to play. But now tides are turning a little bit and it makes you want to play more right when you can kind of taste that winning uh that winning taste um yeah 100 percent. like whenever you find a deck you love or like there's a format where you do really well like you're more incentivized to play like yeah. last year when i was like doing super well with lugia i'm like oh yeah like i love playing pokemon like <laughs> and so then good. like but then you also had that that phase where like you were doing well with lugia and you're like yo i hate this game <laughs> exactly right <laughs> so. uh it's always good i love that I hope everyone else is uh, doing well at your challenges, a lot of your cups. It seems like there's a lot of events these days as people gear up for the holidays. Yeah. Um, so before we hop into the Ask Me Anything, let's uh, let's recap Stuttgart, what happened in Stuttgart, and then we will move <laughs> on to uh, previewing San Antonio a little bit for a lot of people I know who are going down this weekend. Neither of us are going down, but I know a lot of people are. And the Spurs play the Lakers on Friday night, so that's what you should all be doing. Nice. I mean, yeah. the Spurs are on a... I think 16 or 17 game losing streak. So you guys can go history. watch that continue. You are seeing yeah. history. Yeah. <laughs> You'd see LeBron uh, and Wemby. It's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but talking about Germany here, or Stuttgart, as we like yeah, to say. Attaboy. Uh I mean, the top cut was actually kind of interesting. Some surprises for sure. So we had lost Zard from the tournament, which I think that deck has been kind of flying a little under the radar for how strong it is. Um, and then we had two Inteleon Urshifus in top cut and zero Gardevoirs in top cut. Uh, so I think interesting top cut for sure. Uh, lots of comfy success. So I think that'll kind of shape some people's minds going into San Antonio. 
but why don't we start in with a deck that won the Lost Box Charizard? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that one's been on my radar for a bit. It just feels like um, it feels like one of those decks that just like you you get bailed out a little bit, and I don't mean like bailed out in the sense that like you don't have to be good to play the deck. You absolutely do. But I think the just the nature of the deck and the way Radiant Charger's ability works, you have a little bit more leeway on if you um, if you don't start super hot. Whereas if your opponent's just like running over you, you're just closer and closer to your Radiant Zard. So I think you have like multiple things going for you in that deck. I, I really like the way this one was built with, uh, I believe this mm-hmm. one played DTE and Mirage Gate. So I really like that as well. I think it um, obviously accelerates how fast you can get to your Zard and it, it changes your, your win cons a little bit. Whereas before with the old like Sable Zard, you had to just wait and wait and wait and just sprinkle with Sableye the entire game. But this is uh this is faster, it seems. It's a little bit uh a little bit nifty. It's got a got a couple of vacuums in there, a couple of counter catchers. So you are accelerating your um your win cons. You're you're getting to mm-hmm. ten of the loss them faster. You've counter catchers to pick off other V's before they get down to two prizes. So you accelerate that prize race. And you have two TM devolutions, which is just sick. So yeah, I really like it. I think the Jirachi was a great call. The Tomb was obviously a great call as a EU regional champion. Kind of <laughs> need that, right? Um, but yeah, no, I liked it. What do you think about it? Yeah, no, I think uh, I think Lost Art is very meta dependent. Like, there's a couple cards that completely shut down the deck, like Lost City and Jirachi specifically. Um, but I do think it's really good, right? It's way faster than all the other Lost Zone decks. Like, you're you're threatening turn two Sableye pretty much every game, regardless if you go first or second, which I think is is fairly strong. Um, and like you're pointing out, he, he built, uh, Christian built it with Raihan and he played that one Mirage Gate. So I think a lot of problems with like historically playing the Charizard deck, the Sableye deck is you get kind of stuck in the middle of the game where it's like, you can only really Sableye for 12 and there's nothing to pick off against like some of these big decks. Uh, mm-hmm. so just having the option to early Charizard, which I think we've discussed on our pod before, like it's really strong in this format. Um, like decks like Maridon are doing really well. I mean, Charizard is obviously really good into that. Chen Pao's kind of falling off. It's good to Chen Pao. Um, even just like slapping like a Giratina for 250 or something, super strong. So I think he was definitely taking advantage of having that. Um, also, I think he just had a, we saw that Lost Zone, like Dex in general, did pretty well this weekend. Uh, and just having that fast Sableye just gives you such an advantage in the mirror. So like, I just clicked here on like his his matchups. Uh, and it seems like, yeah, he was just like farming Lost Box. Um, he was farming Charizard, which is kind of surprising to me because I feel like if they play Lost City, that's kind of a bad matchup in Jirachi. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's a cool deck. I think the problem with it going forward is like if it's on people's radar, like if people start putting Jirachi in their deck, like that's huge because then this deck can literally just do Cramant and Charizard. Um, yeah, which we can talk about in a bit if we think Jirachi when we get to the Sableye or the San Antonio part of the pod. But no, it was a really cool deck. Like I liked it. Um, obviously he played it really well, piloted it well, uh, so he went well. Um, I think, yeah, interestingly enough, so yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I think it's very like meta dependent on what it is, on what's around it and stuff. And you look at the, the metagame and the standings of Stuttgart in this scenario and you see like, honestly, like it's really, really diverse. Like I'm just like scrolling down. There's so many different things going on. There's a cloth. There's Mewtwo V Union. There's <laughs> Ente Valiant. There's actually, sorry, there's multiple cloths here. Oh my God. There's so many. There's like four. Um, there's, there's just so much going on and like, it, it, it kind of makes sense. Like this, this deck is obviously very meta dependent, but the way he built it kind of made it a bit more even into the field. I think with the Jirachi and the Spirit Tomb, you kind of yeah it out a little bit. And I like that a lot. Yeah, no, so definitely 
definitely a smart build from Christian, a good pilot, great win for him. Yeah. Uh, only other thing I want to talk about in the top cut here is we had two Inteleon decks in top cut. Um, so I feel like Inteleon's a deck that uh, it was picking up some like momentum. I think a lot of people were hyping it. It just hadn't been seeing the conversions. I think one got top 16 in LAIC. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think people were like, oh, like you got to play Iron Valiant now. Like we're done with this deck, but no, like Rapid Strike Inteleon did fantastic this tournament. Like obviously two converting to top eight is, is really good. Um, surprisingly, I think it lost, one of them lost to a Lost Box in top eight. Actually, I think they both lost to Lost Zone decks in top eight, which is kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, Neil, what do you think about the, the Rapid Strike decks? I have seen this a little bit at some cups popping up a little bit again. Yeah, I was telling people on Wednesday at my challenge last Wednesday, I was like, it is such a rapid strike angle right now. Like, it just felt like it was it was a great call for this event, and it definitely was. Um, I think that deck specifically, if you play the game, you're favored into a lot of meta. <laughs> and uh, and I, the reason I say that is because you are very contingent on playing the game, which you do not do all of the time, which is, I think, what is the only like one of the only things holding this deck back. It's just the fact that yeah. it's just generally kind of inconsistent, kind of all over the place. There's a lot of like researches. You're just praying you draw like an energy retrieval or water energy and a rapid strike. So obviously you're very contingent on that, and and you're very uh, punished when you're when you only get out one octillery and he gets knocked out or whatever it is. So um, obviously yes, you're very contingent on playing the game. I like the matchup spread. I like a lot of things about it, and I think that in the hands of a good player, there's a lot of potential for this deck. I think the ceiling's very high. I think it was two years now that Tord went on that crazy one run with Rap Strike uh, across all those regionals. And you can just see, like, with a skill-based deck like that, when you give a good pilot that deck, the sky's the limit, man. So I think it's going to yeah. pop up a bit more here and there. Um, it depends on, obviously, how the rest of the meta shapes up, but it seems pretty strong. Yeah, I think one thing I want to talk about here is just kind of like how, like, I think it doing well this weekend kind of speaks to metagaming and how decks kind of, like, ebb and flow, not just within a format, but when, like, new cards and sets come out. So, like, I think last format, like, one of the reasons Rapid Strike maybe wasn't as strong is, like, it has a bad Lugia matchup and a bad Mew matchup. I think last format, like, Lugia and Mew would always hover between 10 to 15%. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of seen, like, this format, for example, like, Lugia is just, like, not even a deck right now. So one of the decks, like, worst matchups just doesn't exist. And then, um, like, Mew is, like, still played, but I think it's played less than last format. And then one of its good matchups, like, Maridon, has just seen a rise in play. So I think people who, like, either have been, like, loyal to this deck or people who smartly, like, notice the trends in a metagame, they can kind of see, like, when conditions for a deck become more favorable. Because decks like Intellio and Urshifu, like, you can't just, like, play it every tournament. Like, you definitely need the right metagame for it. Um, and I think we have found now a metagame that's, like, really strong for it. And like you said, like, the deck's a little bit clunky and consistent. But, I mean, like, that's a lot of decks. So, yeah, on yeah. paper, this deck has, like, an insane matchup spread. Uh, it just, if you want to play this deck, practice it a bit because it can be a bit tricky. And uh, be okay with dead drawing a couple of your games. Yeah, and to and to your point, actually, to be honest, I'm actually quite surprised Lugia is not a deck right now. I think um, on paper it doesn't seem too too awful. I'm not saying mm. by any stretch of the imagination is it a tier one deck, but I think that like there was always a Lugia popping in here and there, and even at LAIC there's a few Lugias in day two. So I'm a little yeah. bit surprised that there's like virtually nothing, but it also kind of makes sense. Like yeah. you are, I mean, you kind of get power creeped a little bit. Yeah, so. I mean, it's kind of similar to, like, what I think is happening with Chen Pao, which we can talk about later, is, like, the deck is just not seeing play right now. Like, it's probably, like, a tier 3, like, high tier 3, low tier 2 deck, but it's just not seeing play. So if it's not seeing play, like, strong players aren't playing it, it's obviously not going to convert. Um, but, like, 
I don't know, like, the deck has a bad Maradon matchup, which is the most popular deck. I think his Gardevoir matchup got worse? Uh, I don't know, because, like, they have Screamtail now to just pick up, pick off Archeops, but they did cut Sinnoh, so that one's close. Like, the deck is still kind of clunky a bit, so I don't know, I just don't think it's good enough to be played right now. You know what, and I think some of this has to do with people's testing with it and i think some of this has to do with the fact that people started clunking up the list a little bit as soon as iron hands came out like they're playing fire yeah. they're playing lightning energy they're playing water energy and you're playing like these two earthen vessels that are virtually useless a lot of the time i think that a lot of like the deck building kind of hurt the, the the variant as a whole and i think a lot of people put the deck down because they saw like all right this is kind of brick but in theory actually like it's not that terrible and even into maridon it's not that terrible if they're playing the two-path I mean, build. Yes, but, like, it again, the key th- phrase there is in theory. I think if yes. you ever play Lugia, like, you play the deck, and you're like, okay, this is, like, a pile. So, like, you yeah. kind of, like, the reason people are playing, like, hands and stuff is trying to give it some juice to kind of, like, overcome some of its shortcomings. But, yeah, I just, I don't think it's in a good spot. Um, maybe we'll be proven wrong, but I think we, we can put it to rest for now in this format and uh, talk about the other decks, because... I think there's one more deck here from Stuttgart before we move on that I want to talk about. Uh, in ninth place, we had a Roaring Moon. So I think this archetype was pretty hyped when the set came out. Um, it hasn't really been showing off that well in the Masters division. I know it's been doing decent in the younger divisions, but it was actually a very different list than what we've been used to. So I think uh, most people playing Roaring Moon, they've been playing the Pokestop version, like playing the Switchers. Uh, but the person who got ninth... Luigi uh, from Italy, he played it with four Town Store, and then he oh. played Ancient Booster, Forest Seal, and Bravery. So he took a slower approach to the deck. He played Seda and Boss, uh, but it seemed to have paid off for him. So, and you know, I don't know if you've put a lot of time into Roaring Moon, but what do you think about this build? I actually did when it came out. I put put in quite a bit of time, and like the deck always felt like, yeah, you go crazy turn one, you go crazy turn two, but then you just like fall off a cliff. So. I don't particularly hate this build by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I would say that it's a little bit, I guess I'm not really in a position to say that this guy just like almost top eight, top eight mm-hmm. with this deck, but I find it a little peculiar that, that there's no water energies for Greninja, but um, I like the build overall. I think if you're playing three E-Switch that you could probably splash in a couple of water energies just to make that play happen, but this person obviously knows way better than I, so I'm not going to say anything. And I, and I like the build. <laughs> I think the build looks pretty cool. Um, Four switch card, three energy switch, three tracking shoes. Like these are cards that are obviously attainable from Pokestop. But if four town store is the way to go, then hey man, who am I to argue with the results? The um, the only other thing I wanted to mention before we move on is the uh, the fourth place list. I don't know if you got a chance to look at it, but it is like funky, funky, and uh, yeah. it's another deck that played Roaring Moon. So I just wanted to touch on that while we were talking about this. I think Roaring Moon is, is extremely strong. And I think one of the things that holds back Roaring Moon in its own archetype is the fact that you can't really mix in a one-prize attacker a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you're kind of going 2-2-2, two, 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 and you're just hoping your opponent, like, misses a turn. So that's why I kind of like this build. There's uh, a Roaring Moon in Iron Hands, a Glaring Moltres V, a Raikou V, a Tropius, a Minior, and a Greninja. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it also plays a Gift Energy and two super effective glasses. So Yeah, this bro just funky. said... Uh... I want to be ready for everything. That's basically what this list is saying. Yeah, it's um, sick. Yeah, so like obviously like he sacrificed a little bit of consistency when he's playing like all these crazy cards. Um, mm. But he had an answer to literally like probably every single deck. So yeah, it was very interesting. Um, this isn't really the type of deck I would play. 
But I think it goes to show, like, why, like, Lost Box is always strong. It's just, like, you can play it with whatever. Like, Mirage Gate just enables, like, literally, like, any card. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was, like, very. uh, This is a very me deck, actually. I look at this and I like it. It is Um, a very you deck, actually. (laughs) There's no Sableye in here, which is really, really interesting. Yeah, that's crazy. A Lost Zone deck without Sableye? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. But, yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of just, like, you have a plan into everything. It's kind of cool, actually. This might be something I try, but I can see why, uh. I mean, it, it top forward originals. I was going to say, I can see why it kind of got out here, but it, it top forward. Like, it's got to be good. Yeah. You can see the thought process, too. Like, he plays Raihan, he plays Gift. So, you put the Gift before you're getting Roxanne Ryono to try and finish the game. Like, you yep. have Iron Hands to put pressure early. You have Moon for the big threat. So, I think the idea is, like, you just, like, always out-trade all these decks. Um, I'd have to, I'd have to obviously play this deck more to see my actual opinion on it. But I see I see the theory. Like, I can see why why they did well. So, yep. I mean, you're no, cool definitely, definitely a cool deck. Yeah, I mean, we didn't see much Snorlax this weekend. I mean, actually, there's a decent amount on day two. Like, not a crazy amount, but... Um, well, a lot think, of the Snorlaxes yeah. that did well as well had a counter for Minior. So there was a lot of them playing yeah. DTs and Lost City. So, I mean, it's yeah. not great, but... What's it called? I uh, One of the seniors I coach, he, he got top four, and he told me he lost to, like, a Snorlax playing Pidgeot EX and Luxury V with DT. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's, it's a real thing. <laughs> And I think it's actually not the worst thing in the world right now. Because you just play the Lost City, you just bounce the mini or like, nice try, bro. Yeah. Nice yeah. Try. No, so it was interesting. But, yeah, let's move on to quick forecast of San Antonio. Then I want to leave time for our AMA since I feel like that's going to take up a, a bulk yep. of this episode. So, yeah, going to San Antonio, Neil, like, now we've seen, I don't know, like, Lost Zone do really well in the last regional. So maybe we start with, like, where do you think Jirachi fits into the metagame? Like, do you think most people are going to play Jirachi now going forward? Um... Yes and no. I think that Jirachi is great. I think it's obviously good into what we've seen this weekend. Uh, there was a couple of awesome decks, but honestly, not really heavy Sableye spammers. Like, really, uh, I'm not seeing a whole lot. There's a lot of Tina, which obviously does use Sableye, but it doesn't recycle it as well as Old Lost Box did. And there's not a lot of Guardy as well. So those mm-hmm. two things put together, I'm like... It does dwindle the use of Jirachi a little bit, but I do think it's still a good call. Um, depending on where you are, depending on what your metagame's like, obviously San Antonio is going to be like a, a huge snapshot, so you're going to get a little bit of everything. Um, I, I wouldn't hesitate to put a Spear Tomb or a Jirachi in my deck in San Antonio, but I also wouldn't go out of my way to do it because I think like at a regional that big, it's like 2,200 people. You're bound to hit a little bit of everything, and, and overtacking for one deck is probably not the best idea going into a huge regional, and that's one thing I would say, and that's one thing I kind of stand by anytime I go to a big regionals versus a small regionals or an IC or something. Um, you can't really predict what people are going to play. So there might be a lot of Lost Box, and you may never hit one or whatever. We've been over these things on the pod before. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, I, I wouldn't overtech personally going into san antonio i do think there are some decks in better positions than others but it's, it's hard to tell what people are going to play and especially even harder to tell what you're going to hit yeah i guess my one thing i would say is that we have seen you know inteleon do well so inteleon might be on the rise a bit um and jirachi is actually pretty good against that because you stop yoga loop mm-hmm. um so i don't know like let's say giratina is around i think it's metashare right now is around like 12 to 15 percent let's say like inteleon's another five percent and then random lost zone decks i don't know let's say it's another like five to seven percent so i mean that's like 25 to 30 percent of the meta where like jirachi has relevance so that's like one every three games yep so honestly like i i don't hate playing it this weekend like i think if you play gardevoir like i think it's actually probably pretty strong this weekend if you play charizard i'd actually i think it's pretty strong as well um if you play a lost sun deck and you want to like pretty much like auto win mirror like it's actually 
pretty strong. So, I don't know, the card, I think for a one-card inclusion, like, it's pretty effective, actually. So, it, like, yeah. really swings a lot of the matchups. So, um, I don't know, I'd probably try and find a way to play it this weekend. If you're playing, like, one of the decks I mentioned, like, the ones that evolve or have low HP Pokemon. Like, if you have big yeah. HP Pokemon, then, yeah, like, I definitely don't play this card. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's a bad show by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I think it's pretty good. Um, I just don't, like... I'm not huge on these one-card attacks going to these tournaments unless you play, like... Unless you're playing something that's entirely contingent on blocking whatever you're trying to do. So, for example, like, if I was playing Arceus, obviously I'd play Spirit Tomb to counter Mew. And if I was playing... Like, like you said, right? If you're playing these low-HP decks that you kind of can't afford to get Sableye or Yoga Looped or whatever, then yes, I think there's definitely a lot of merit to Jirachi. Um, but I wouldn't go, like, sprinkling it into everything. Uh, I think there's a time and place for all these things, right? So... It's good. It's good to consider that. Obviously, Tomb is good into a lot of matchups. Jirachi is good into a lot of matchups. I'd actually be interested to like kind of lay out what matchups they're both good into. Like I know you said, like Jirachi is like thirty percent of the meta. I'd be interested to like go through it with Tomb as well and see which one's like mm. more effective in theory. But um, yeah, I think they're both good. I think, I think they're definitely both good. I would uh, with with Sablezard on the rise, with Rapidstrike on the rise, and Gardevoir on the decline a little bit. I still think there is um, there's a lot of room for Gardevoir to kind of come back up as well. So I would be wary of that. Anything I played would probably be uh, pretty favorable in a Gardevoir if I could help it. Yeah. I mean, we've seen Gardevoir kind of like ebb and flow the past few events. Um, not doing as well. But I think the metagame is kind of consolidated here to the fact... I think Tier 1 is like kind of clear now. It's like, I think Giratina, Gardevoir, and Riot on Charizard. Those are like the big four. Like, mm-hmm. I think after that, the decks kind of drop off a bit. So I feel like, honestly, like, yeah, like the metagame is starting to become... I shouldn't say predictable, but like, it's more clear. Like, you... Like, I think there's a core group of decks that make up about half the metagame. Um, whenever I look at, like, the day two, like, it seems like those decks make up, like, 55 to 60%. Um, so, I think, yeah, like, if you're, like, trying to, like, play something spicy or trying to counter this weekend, like, I think those four decks are the ones you want to keep in mind. Um, and then I think we just have, like, yeah, like, then the Antalions, the Entes, the Muse, like, the Lost Zone Box. Like, those are kind of just, like, on the fringe now, so. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, you know, like, what do you... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, I was gonna say, what do you think? Maybe like of those of the four top decks, and like out of those four decks, like which one are are you like liking the most right now? Well, yeah, that that was actually what I was gonna say. I was gonna say that like it cleared up a lot, and it, it's more concise than it was. And I think it's actually more concise that it's not concise in a sense where there's so <laughs> many different variants that we didn't know were gonna survive this last format. And like you look at this day two for Stuttgart, and there's Mew, there's Rapstrike, there's Charizard, there's Charizard Lost Box. There's like just so many random decks that like you'd look down that you go down this list and you could probably find like 10 main archetypes there's still valiance there's still like there, there's a lugia here there's uh obviously the uh comfy hands roaring moon deck like there's just so much going on that i think yes it's consolidated for sure and it's also consolidated in a way that it's like all right you can expect like these eight decks <laughs> which is kind of crazy <laughs> Um, but out of the top four that you mentioned, I I really like Gardevoir right now. Um, I've been playing Gardevoir a lot. I, I, I really enjoy it. And I think it has the most potential to outplay your opponents, obviously. So mm-hmm. I, I like that, especially going to a big tournament where a lot of these people are not going to be top players for the most part. Like, obviously, your top players will be there, but your chances of hitting somebody who's more new or more average of the game is a little bit higher at these big tournaments. So... I would just play something that gives you the best chance to play the game, A, and outskill your opponent, B. So play the game is probably right on, being the most consistent. And then uh, the outskill factor is, is Gardevoir. So 
if I were going to San Antonio, I'd probably be playing either Gardevoir or Maradon. Uh, I think I'd probably lean towards Maradon just because of the whole like best of three fifty thing. Um, yep. So that that's where I stand. What, what would you play if you're going this weekend? Yes, I think it's actually interesting. So I think all of these decks, like in the top four, they have like a 50-50 versus like one of them, like a 60-40 versus one of them, and like a 40-60 versus one of them. So I think you can't really go wrong with any of them. Like like for example, like Maridon, like 60-40 is Gardevoir. It's probably 40-60 Tina, and it's probably 50-50 like Charizard or something. Like, and like Gardevoir, similar thing. So it's like, if you have like one of those decks in the top four that you've been playing, you're comfortable with, like I think just send it. Like I think if you want to do well, like if you want like the highest like floor or like average, just pick one of those four decks that we just mentioned. Um, they're less prone to variance. Like the lists are more refined and more solved. Um, they're just all tier one for a reason. Um, I would probably still play Gardevoir just because that's the deck I'm the best at out of these four. Um, I haven't really played the other ones that extensively. Like I played Tina a bit. I think Tina's strong as well. I think it has a lot of outplay ability. I think it has a lot of different lines. Like you have Roxanne, Path, Countercatcher, Sableye, like when to use, like Lost, uh, not Lost, Abyss Seeking. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think Gardevoir and Tina are probably my two favorites of these ones. Um, just my preference, personal preference. But yeah, if you if you're going to San Antonio, you're like you're looking to make day two or whatever. Like, probably picking one of these four is like the highest chance you have of, of making day two. Yeah, and you want to pick something safe, obviously, in that sense too, with such yeah. a big tourney and all that. So I agree with you 100. percent Just pick something that like yeah. a you're comfortable with and b is kind of okay and everything. Which is uh, yeah, most of the top four is good and digits about everything. So. Uh, yeah. So, perfect. We, we went over that. We went over Stuttgart. Now we can get to the exciting part. This is <laughs> this is something that we've had on our list for a while where we wanted to kind of do an AMA segment of our podcast, but this is going to be an AMA half of our podcast because we got so much uh, so much feedback and so many things people wanted to, us to kind of touch on. So, mm-hmm. without further ado, let's get into it here. Um, All right. So, the first question comes in from Ivan A saying, do you think there should be more regionals in Canada? If so, what locations do you feel would be best for Canadians that play Pokemon? What do you I think? I mean, here? I feel like my answer is going to be obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More so by the second I mean, part. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, just to speak of, like, why I think there should be more regionals in Canada's first is I think it's a little unfair that Canada has the same, like, CP bar as America just because it's, like, way more expensive to play as a Canadian. Um, like, to go to regionals, like, to fly, we have to fly to most of them. Like, it's more expensive. Like, the Canadian dollar is weak versus the US dollar. It's more expensive. And if you don't live in Toronto or, like, the Toronto area, it's actually very hard to go to regionals. Like, if you live in Montreal, for example, like, there's not really any that are, like, drivable, like, really close besides Toronto. And it's more expensive to fly out of there. Like, if you live in Vancouver, for example, like, you have to fly everywhere. So I just think having another one or just, like, lowering the CP bar to, like, maybe, like, 500 or something would just, like, be better. But to answer the second part, like, where I would put them, I mean, Montreal is the obvious answer. I mean, that's the next biggest city in Canada. Like, it's an amazing city. If anyone here hasn't been there, highly recommend going to Montreal. Um, then if I had to pick another city, probably Calgary, if I had to pick. That's fair. Um, give, yeah, give the West Coast and other regionals. I know that one would be kind of hard for, like, a lot of Americans to go to. Um, but, I mean, this is why, like, I feel like they should just bring back, like, states or provincials. Or just, like, make more special events. Like, I don't know why, like, Montreal can't get a special event or Calgary can't get a special event. Like, there's no reason not to give them one. Um, since the cost commitment is like way lower on the Pokemon side. So, yeah, no, I definitely think we should have more events. I think it's just good for growing scenes. Um, so yeah, I would love to see like special events like used more liberally by uh, Pokemon. I'd love to see one on the East Coast as well. 
uh maybe halifax something like that yeah that'd be um, really cool that'd be dope i know that the uh there was like that fake regional in yukon that came out that one <laughs> yeah time. the yellow knife yeah i was down <laughs> i was low-key down like i believed it at first because it looked really legit and i didn't think like i didn't think it was cap immediately so bro there's no way you believe that i, I did for the first like 10 minutes I yellow it. knife bro i looked at it and it looked legit bro, do you so know what the like, population that... of yellow knife is <laughs> it's not very much but it give me a also guess. Give me a guess. okay hang on an actual guess of Yellowknife. Yeah, give me um, a guess. Yeah. I'm going to say 48,000. No, way less. Way less? Uh, 20? Yeah. yeah, 20. <laughs> That's crazy, bro. Yeah, but like in my mind, it almost like, it, it definitely didn't make sense. I definitely just like believed it and I wasn't using my brain, but I was like, okay, cheap venue space. No one wants to go. Mm-hmm. It's like you could rent out a 300 person venue and still probably not hit cap. So it's seemed... Yeah. It seemed all right, but um, yeah, no, I would definitely, I would, I would agree with Calgary. I think they they actually have a pretty decent player base out there, or at least they used mm-hmm. to. Um, Calgary would be good. East Coast would be good. Obviously, Montreal. They used to have regionals in Montreal, so that would yeah. kind of make sense. Or provincials, but yeah, yeah, sorry, provincials. Um, so that would make sense as well. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Um, let's move on. I'm yeah. gonna try to uh, try to make sure we don't take too much time on any of these. This is what well, this is one we have to tackle. MJ versus the field. Who's the goat? MJ, so the question is based is MJ versus LeBron? <laughs> More or less, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, this question is always hard because it's like you and I are both like too young to have like watched Prime MJ. Yep. Um, I mean, I would probably like slightly lean towards LeBron just because I think like his career overall has been better. Like 20 years of playing at that level. I mean, he has the points, like record. I mean, I think if you ask me like probably like, who's like absolutely better at their peak, I'd probably say jordan but if we're looking in totality i'd probably pick lebron i think the one thing i will say is like that makes this even harder is like jordan does not have an achievement as great as lebron's 2016 finals but jordan also doesn't have like a blemish or failure as big as the 2011 finals for lebron so right it's one of those things where it's like you're just splitting hairs like like either guy is like fine like i feel like it's a cop-out answer so like i'll just say lebron is like my goat but uh shout out to liam halliburton too like he's (laughs) uh he's a big uh Legoat fan. Legoat fan. Yeah, like, and like we talked about this last episode, and where it's like it's so impossible to just compare people yeah. of two generations. And I, the one thing I will say though, and like I think most of the time my answer is Jordan. I think most of the time, but obviously I didn't see him play in his prime. I've only mm-hmm. seen highlights or tapes or whatever. But I think there's also a huge recency bias towards, um, obviously, naturally, like with the human nature, um, towards not only LeBron but anybody who's more memorable in your brain or more recently like that you've seen. So I think that is a factor, but I also think there's a factor of like when you come after someone who is as great as Jordan, you're always going to be compared to them. Right. So there's always going to be these these little things that are comparative. Whereas like people watching Jordan in their mind the entire time, they're like, this guy is the best guy to ever touch basketball. So those people are really hard to sway. And like those people kind of grow up with that attachment, with that kind of like that configurement towards Jordan naturally. So I think that also adds a bunch of things to the fire. So the an- my answer is I don't have an answer because there's great cases to be made for both of them. Whereas like yeah, exactly. you ask me Ronaldo versus Messi, I can tell you Messi like full heartedly. Whereas like bro, maybe- like sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say like twenty years from now, there's gonna be like Timmy Turner. Like our kids are gonna be like Timmy Turner's the goat. Like you yeah. and I are gonna be like no, like LeBron James. Like is way better than this guy. So yeah, back in my day, we had LeBron James. <laughs> yeah, back in my day. <laughs> back in my day, but like it, it changes so fast too. Because like two years ago, I would have told you there's a solid debate between Ronaldo and Messi, but now there just is not. So like yeah, 
and there's so much like emphasis placed on these these players at the end of their careers and like how well are they doing at the end of their careers lebron is like 80 years old now doing crazy things and messi's like 80 years old doing crazy things while ronaldo's picking his nose in saudi arabia so nice <laughs> there are certainly things to be said about that um moving on this question is also from j star thank you j star okay um this one is pokemon related <laughs> thanks uh, oh, what was the you. biggest catalyst for change as you as a player that let you go from being a scrub to being in day two contention consistently? What do you think holds the most players back from consistent day two results? And before we answer this, I want to say that this one was uh, very upvoted by the community. It had a lot of engagement. So people are very interested okay. in this one. Cool. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to break it down because I think there's quite a few different levels. Like I'd say there's probably like you start as like a beginner and then you probably get to the level where you can like top cut a league cup, like, I don't know, like win a league challenge. Then I think the next level from there is probably like day two of like big events. And I think from there it's like top cutting, like stuff like regionals. And then if you want to go beyond that, then it's like winning big events. So I'd say for me, like, uh, like when I started playing, uh, I think one, like the big thing that held me back was like, I wasn't playing good list, which I think has kind of been solved now with like limitless and all that. Um, and two, it was like, I didn't really understand like sequencing very well. Like I didn't understand like how to play matchups well. Like I, I only really understood like how to play my side of the board. Um, so like I would just kind of like play my cards as they came, which I think when you're learning how to play is like kind of how you do have to learn how to play. But I think what really changed things for me or like how when I work with like when I, a lot of the people I coach, like what I try and tell them to like really get to the next level is once I started like understanding the game from like my opponent's side of it, so, like, when I play my turns, like, I'll be like, okay, like, what is my opponent trying to do? Like, if they draw perfectly next turn, like, what are they going to do? Like, if they want to do this play, like, what cards do they need to have? Like, what was their optimal play last turn? If they didn't do it, like, what can I infer that they don't have in their hand? So, kind of, like, working backwards, I think, like, once you start paying attention to what your opponent's doing, it actually, it's not easy, but, like, you can, like, really start piecing together, like, which cards they probably have access to, like, what threats they have. And then once you know what they can do, it kind of helps to, like, guide your turn. Um, so I'd say if you're really trying to get like really good as a player, like start doing that and obviously like practice other decks so you know how they work. But yeah, to me, it's just like, it's, it's similar to like the saying in poker where it's like a good player, like plays their cards and like a, a great, a great player, like plays, uh, their opponent's cards and like an amazing player, like plays what their opponent thinks they're going to do. I kind of butchered that, but like basically the idea <laughs> is, is like, if you can, if you can play both sides of the board and like think both sides of the board. Like, the game kind of becomes clear. Um, and then just another thing to add to that is I think once I understood, like, how to prize map effectively, that really leveled up my game as well. Um, so when I say prize map, for people who aren't familiar with the term, it kind of means, like, planning out how you're going to take your six prizes. So, like, for example, if I'm playing, um, like, Gardevoir against Maridon, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to knock out their Maridon, then I'm going to knock out their Squawk with, like, Screamtail, then I'll knock out something else with, like, Zacian. And, like, when you kind of do a prize map, like, I kind of ask myself in my head, I'm like, all right, like, how many attacks does it take me to win? And then if my opponent gets their optimal prize map, like, how many turns would it take them to win? And then that kind of can also help guide you, like, okay, like, I shouldn't bench, like, this Pokemon because it, like, lets my opponent take an extra prize or, like, it, like, advances my opponent's strategy or, like, it, like, declines, not declines, like, makes mine worse. So, yeah, I think just thinking more critically, like, stop just thinking, like, in the moment or just your turn. Once you can start learning, like, how to think really far in advance, like, I think most great Pokemon players, like, even from the first turn, they can, like, see, like, how the next five are going to go in terms of, like, who's attacking what. Like, obviously, you can't just control, like, what you draw. Like, it might you of might course. have to deviate. 
but you can have like a really well-defined plan for even the first turn of the game. Um, I think a lot of people just like play as they go and they're not like taking that extra level of like deepness that they need. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a very long-winded answer. So Neil, go ahead and give yours now, but I, I, I <laughs> that was story. good insight. You, you covered most of it. <laughs> Um, I think the base, so in regards to the question itself, like directly to this question, what brought you from being a scrub to being in day two contention consistently? And the reason why I share this is because I think it can help other people as well. Um, growing up, I was a perennial bag fumbler. So when I got to pressure <laughs> situations, and this mostly applies to sports, less about Pokemon, but when I got to finals, I got to pressure situations, whatever. I was, I don't want to say I always folded, but I always did worse because I was in my own head and like a mentality thing was holding me back. And so learning through Pokemon, learning through sports and, and like there's such a close connection between those two things. But going through that, I ended up flipping my mentality entirely. So now I'm like, I like to say I'm like strong as a rock when it comes to those situations and I actually rise up to occasions and I, I think I go above and beyond to do well now. And that, for me at least, was the biggest difference between like failure and success because I would get to situations where I'm putting myself in winning in situations or whatever it was, and then I'd fumble it because I was in my own head. Mm-hmm. And the only way to learn to kind of get over that hump is to do it. And, and the unfortunate answer, because it's not as simple as people would like, but <laughs> the best way to get better and the best way to get to day two contention and stopping a scrub is just to play the game. Even little things like lead challenges where you're putting yourself in pressure situations where you're like, okay, this is the final round. If I win, I first. If I lose, I'm out. Whatever. Little situations, lead cups, lead challenges can simulate regional big situations. And when you look at it as a whole, you're, it's just another game. So that's, yeah. the, that's the advice I give. Just kind of look at it kind of as a, as a big picture thing, not so much as like, oh, I need to win this round. Plays you do, kind of lock yourself in, in the moment and see where you can go from that. Um, yeah. I actually one more thing I just want to add that yeah. I should have mentioned in my initial response is um, okay obviously it's obvious yes you got to practice but find someone like I don't know your friend or like someone in your league like whatever who like also wants to get better and like work together like Anil and I when we were kids like I'm not exaggerating him and I would like get home from school we'd call each other on Skype and we'd play Pokemon for like two to four hours a night like this is a every story. single night we would like message each other about our list. We would like message about matchups and then we would like discuss the game together. So like having someone to grow alongside with you who has similar goals, like really helps. And like, we definitely pushed each other. And I'd honestly say like Anil and I were both probably similar level players for like a while. And then that year we started working together. We both started seeing results. Like yep. we were both cutting regionals. We were cutting nationals. And like, I really do think like having like us working together, like really would helped. And like, I don't think if I was just like by myself, like that, that would have, I would have been as good as a player. So yeah. I think I yeah, find one person or like find a group of, of you together and just like discuss Pokemon, like lists, discuss games. Like when you play games, like if you're not sure about something, like whenever it's a hard decision, like I still do this. Like I discuss it with like the people I'm like working with. So yeah, definitely lean on, lean on other people. That's another big advice. Yeah. And it's important to find people who are similar minded to you. So there's a lot of people in your circles who may not be of similar mind to you. Maybe they play different decks. Maybe they're not in the same kind of growth pattern. So it's important to kind of weed those people out. And really talk to the people and keep the people close that have similar patterns and similar goals as you. Um, okay, so we're getting up here in time. So we're going to start rapid firing these a little bit. Uh, um, we're like 40 minutes. So we're fine. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't want to like super rapid fire, but I don't want people having to stay here for like three hours. Although I'd love you to. Um, so Jackson Ford <laughs> says, Banana Games podcast when? And the answer is soon. Correct? Yeah, that'll definitely happen. Yeah, of course. Fantastic. <laughs> Jerry Zoo, the legendary Jerry Zoo. 
<laughs> what could be done to better incentivize players who aren't chasing for invite to get to get them to keep playing the game, especially locally? Um, oh, I can take a stab at this first. Yeah, go for it. Um, I think prize packs were great. I think that's a mm-hmm. great incentive to get people to play the game locally. Uh, I also think that the if you're not chasing invite, obviously your goal is a little bit different, but just to just to play for monetary gain or to play for self gain, whatever whatever you value in your own life is I think what you have to chase. For me, I chase the invite because that to me is the ultimate safety Pokemon. It's also a really nice vacation in August every year. So <laughs> that's kind of what takes me there. Um as far as locally, I think if you're only wanting to play locally and not chasing your invite, it's obviously up to your own goals. Whatever you do whatever it, it some for some people just playing the game is fun and that's that's a great thing to have right and i think jerry you're one of those people right who really enjoy just playing the game so you don't really need that end goal that that giant pinnacle to really enjoy it so i think that's something that really helps me at least yeah uh i mean i'm kind of similar to you i'm like very competitive motivated so like that's why i enjoy playing pokemon but I think there's a couple ideas I've seen floated before that I think are good. Like, I don't, like, I, people are saying, like, why don't we have, like, stamped promos for, like, day two of regionals? Like, I agree. Like, that's a pretty easy thing. It costs Pokemon almost nothing. Like, that would be cool. Um, things like the prize packs are good. Like, promo cards are good for locals. Um, I think stores, like, hosting, like, turning their League Cups into, like, 1Ks or 2Ks, like, that's always pretty popular. Um, so, up in the prize pool. Obviously, I understand stores need to pick a profit. Like, they don't want to run at a loss. So, like, that's, that's kind of hard. Um, and I think it would be really cool if, like, Pokemon, like, introduced, like, some event, like, below Worlds that had, like, a championship point bar. Um, I think that would be kind of cool. Like, maybe an event where you need, like, 200 points or, like, 100 points or something. Um, or, like, like, and they had kind of, like, tied that to locals maybe. Or, like, they had, like, something separate where it's, like, I don't know, like, you have, like, uh, League Cup points and, like, that, that leads to, like, a, like, provincial or state tournament. I don't know, just something for people to work towards that isn't Worlds because... Uh, just from like other card games like looking at them like pokemon's like the only game where like everyone just cares about worlds and i think it is because like worlds and pokemon it's like the easiest worlds to make of all the card games like it's not easy obviously still but like i think games like magic like only like 20 people make worlds so like i think people just like think like worlds is like the only thing to go for um and like pokemon has kind of like made it like that since like that is the only thing championship points is for like you don't use championship points for anything besides worlds so Finding some utility for championship points, like be at other events or something else, I think would really go a long way to, to incentivizing people to keep keep playing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think about that all the time too. Um, following it up, he has a couple of like hypotheticals. Uh, foils, non-foils, okay. or mix of? Go ahead. What do you think? So people know me like I'm a big proponent of mixing my arts, um, especially mainly for cards that are obvious that you play like multiple of. So for me, like when I prize check, like I like having, for example, like let's say I'm playing like. I don't know, like two, like boss in my deck. I play two boss. Like if I play like different arts of boss, let's say I have one in my hand and my opponent like judges me and I draw the other one. I know I didn't prize one. Um, sure. Very minute. It doesn't really matter that much, but I just enjoy playing different arts. Like if you see my Chen Pao deck, I have like eight different foil water energy. I just, I don't know. I just love playing different arts. Yeah. And that, I know most people hate that. That but... insane. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. I like foils. Um, and not, not everything foil, obviously, but where I can where I can help it. Yeah. I like foils. I like golds. I like full arts. I like stuff like that. Um, his last question is favorite sleeves. And I think I can a- answer that on behalf of both of us. We both use dragon shields. Correct? Yep. Perfect. Yeah. I, I mean, I love Japanese sleeves. They just don't shuffle that nice. <laughs> yep. Okay, uh, Sam Johnson asks, what was the moment that made you realize you are going from mediocre play attorneys to having consistent awesome runs? Um, 
probably that year in seniors, I think 2013. 13. I think yep. both of us, that was, yeah, like 2012, 13. That was for both of us. Like, I, don't know, I think I was just, like, at cities, like, I was, cities are basically like league cups. Like, the year before, like, I would have a really hard time making cut. And I think at cities, like, I was, like, consistently making top cut. Um, I mean, that first regionals of the year, I know you got top cut. Like, I got ninth. I just bubbled out. And then, like, yep. I started making, like, cuts there. Um, Oh, it just felt like when I was playing the games, like it just felt like I understood what I was doing. Like I felt I understood what I was doing in all my matchups. Like every deck I was playing, like I felt like I was building. I was finally learning how to build good lists, um, which I think is a bit of an outdated skill now in Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I just felt like things were clicking. Like it just felt like I, I was playing like with more of like a purpose. Like I like I was thinking deeper. Like I was thinking about what my opponent was doing. Like I was I was thinking like turns in advance. Like. It just felt like a lot of my like skills had just like really leveled up, and like once I started seeing the results that came along with it, like it kind of like validated that for me. And, like I think it definitely boosted my confidence, and I felt felt really good like playing uh, from there on out. Yeah, I think for both of us, uh, my year was also 2015 that I started feeling that. I think the difference was for both of us to to put it short was that we found decks that we were comfortable with, and we kind of just kept playing mm-hmm. them. Whereas before we, I don't want to say we bounced around a lot because we didn't. We were kids. We didn't have that much money, but. It was more so just like we were tinkle like tinkering a lot with what we were doing. Whereas like I think you picked up Kling Clang that year, I picked up TDK and we mm-hmm. just kinda of ran with it. So I think that was a big one for us and I think we learned a lot that year. So twenty thirteen is definitely the year for us. Um but for it could be anything, right? It could be little things like day two in your first regionals or winning your first league cup. Like those things all matter. All, all yeah, every they all single like, Yeah, every single experience you get is positive. So Like yeah, hundred uh, percent. Like all the all the top players in the game like started somewhere. So hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, so moving on here, Dustin Ashford tweets in. This is an interesting one. I actually really like this one. Uh, how do you predict a meta and make a meta call before a tournament? And both for regional slash IC type event or even a local league cup. How do you go about it? Yeah, I mean, when it's a big tournament, it depends if it's like the first tournament in like a meta game or if it's like established. Like if it's established, like a, a meta has been going on for a while. Like I feel like you can kind of like the meta is kind of clear. Like things aren't going to change a lot. When it's a new tournament, like, for example, like, LAIC, um, I actually do pay a lot of attention to, like, what people talk about on Twitter, what people play at late nights, what people on YouTube talk about, because that kind of, like, forms, like, the masses' opinion. Um, And then I also kind of, like, I'm barely connected to, like, a lot of, like, players across the world, so, like, I'll just, like, hear, like, what they're thinking is good. So, like, for example, at LAIC, like, I was hearing, like, so much people talk about, like, Gardevoir, like, oh, it's actually broken, like, now with, like, AV, blah, blah, blah. So in my head, I'm like, okay, like, I know this deck is going to be good. Um... And then, like, other things, like, kind of, like, for example, the example I gave earlier here with, like, Inteleon Urshifu, where it's, like, you can kind of see, like, how the metagame is shifting. And, like, if you think, like, oh, this deck's probably a good play for a tournament, like, a lot of other people probably think that as well. So you can go, like, one step ahead of the curve and be, like, okay, like, I think this deck's going to, like, rise in popularity. Um, and then for locals, like, it really depends if you play in an area with big locals or small locals. Like, back when we were kids and we had, like, smaller locals or, like, for, like, seniors or whatever, like... People like kind of had their own favorite decks, so like it was kind of easier to meta game because I can just be like, okay, I can just like counter a Neil's deck. But now in Masters, to be honest, like I don't really meta game our locals that much. I just play like a tier one deck or tier two deck that I'm comfortable with. Uh, like our league cups are always like 50 plus people, so like it's kind of hard to like meta game it. Mm-hmm. And I think people in general and locals just play their favorite decks. Um, so if you can get a good sense of like what all your locals' favorite decks are, like you can kind of like predict the meta game. It's a little bit more predictable. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, at big tourneys, I at IC specifically, I've I've actually been lucky to be quite successful over the years at IC specifically, and not so much at regionals. And I think a lot of that I can attribute just to the fact that for ICs, I always just counter the best deck. 
that I see is everyone's kind of of that mentality. Like, hey, I'm at an IC. I paid X amount of money to be here. I want to con- con- just confirm that I can get 60 to 80 CP from this event. I'm going to play the best deck. And by countering the best deck and by taking a good matchup into that deck specifically, you already put yourself at an advantage, in my opinion. Um, obviously, it doesn't work for everybody, but that's kind of how I approach it. Regionals, I try to take more of a broad approach. Um, you never know what you're going to hit. The size of the regionals also matters. What's hyped up going into it also matters. Um, for local league cups, I would say it's more so dependent on your local meta. You know people a lot better. You kind of know who's going to be going where. And a lot of people, like, when they, when they, the one thing I've noticed about league cups is when people start doing well at league cups, they tend to stick to the same decks because it's just easier. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't really want to change up too much. And you realize that on any given day, you're playing six different people. So, you can kind of metagame for league decks depending on what you, th- league cup, sorry, depending on what you think you're going to hit. So I think that's always uh, yeah. a very valid strat. Also, I just want to point out, like, if you play, like, one deck at a league cup, like, it's kind of random when you hit, like, we say this all the time, but, like, if I play, like, Intellion to a league cup and I hit, like, a bunch of Mew, I could, like, go to the league cup the next day with the same people there and, like, hit, like, a million loss zone and do well. So yep. if you're good with a deck, like, league cups are just a numbers game. Like, you'll eventually, like, make top cut uh, as long as you're, like, playing solid. Uh, moving on here, Josh DeJesus. This is my favorite question on the list, by the way. I thought about okay. this last night at the bar very extensively. Um, oh, my goodness. Which five Pokemon are you and Kieran adding to your basketball squad? Or for Anil, two strikers, <laughs> two defenders, and a keeper for soccer? I'll let you start. Okay, well, I mean, this just depends. Like, do Pokemon get to use all, like, their psychic powers and stuff? Like, no, I pick no, legendaries? Like, no like, cheese. Like, no cheese. Okay, no cheese. Uh, okay, so I definitely want, like, a lockdown defender. So, you know what? I'll probably pick the Iron Hands as, like, my center, maybe. <laughs> Like those hands are getting some big blocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got him. Uh, uh, I like that. I need. You don't need I mean, to actually I find like I wanna... just a couple outstanding players. Okay, I want I want a Pokemon with some hops, some athleticism. Like a Splunk. Uh, no, nah, but Splunk doesn't have the size, right? So I need some size to go with the athleticism. Okay. Um, Machamp. Who's a po- yeah, Machamp's like a beefy boy. He might be a good like power forward, like backup center for me. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking like maybe my boy Blaziken. You know, okay. I feel like he's got some power, some swagger. You know, that's my small forward right there. Okay. I, I was like thinking. Lo- I feel like I feel like Low Punny jumps really high. Like I'm not sure, but I feel like it does. Mm-hmm. So maybe like Low Punny can be like my star, like my score. She might be a turnstile on like, defense, like but that's Lola okay. Like Lola Bunny from Space Jam. Exactly. That's Same what. I, that's probably why I was thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> I need a point guard like to anchor my team. So. Hmm, like who's a good floor general? I feel like I want a smart Pokemon for this one. Um, so maybe like a psychic type that's like a little athletic. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what you would choose. You get like a Mew. Like maybe Mew's nice and shifty. Yeah, I was thinking Alakazam. Maybe I feel like, you know, got that like old man wisdom. Alakazam You know, slot. good fundamentals. Yep. Okay. Yeah, maybe, I'll pick, maybe I'll pick Alakazam. That's my squad right there. I like that. Okay. <laughs> for soccer. Okay, so I already thought this over. I was like at the bar, like just watching the Leafs game, having a beer. And I was like, wait, this is like the best thing I can think about right now. So I really extensively went over this. So in net, I have Snorlax. This is obvious. Oh, nice. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. that's an easy one. Um, playing defense, it was kind of a hit or miss between like, do I want like that pacey center back or do I want that big boy? So I settled on a bit of both. So I have Garchomp on the right side and Donphan on the left side. So the boys are hunkering it down. If Donphan gets beat in the air somehow, Garchomp's like speed enough to get there. Um, my two strikers. Now this one was interesting uh, because I also thought like, what if I just like, cheese or Rayquaza up there and he just like flies into the net so mm. in the interest of not cheating entirely cheating um i think up front i'm having a luxray because that that, that boy is just fast 
And then I want like, boy yet? I want like a hold up striker. I want someone who can like just kind of hold up the ball and pass off to luxury. So I'm going to put Hisui and Gudra up front. Mm. Yeah, rolling iron baby. So thank nice. you, Josh. Thank you, Josh, for sending in that question. That actually made me think the most out of any of these. Um, <laughs> TCG Godet writes in, and this is uh, the person who hosted the League Cup that I was praising on Twitter. Um, something okay. myself and the other person were discussing after your comment yesterday about the store was what makes you as a player want to return to a store for tournaments? Uh, okay. I mean, I assume they're saying like League Cup. So yes. main thing is they run it on time and efficiently. Um, I think just League Cups in general are just like a big commitment on your weekend. Like, um, it's nice when like you finish a cup and it's still like 3 or 4 p.m. Like, you know, you can go out still, do all that. So I think that to me is the biggest thing. Um, I mean, like prizing is like important, but I feel like people just care about points. Um, if it was like really big prize pool, like maybe I'd go somewhere since I feel like the EV for me would be like higher. But like, I don't know if that really matters that much. Um, And I think finally just like nice judges, like, they're well trained, like they know the ruling, and like they're they're not combative with players. Like they're nice, like growing the community. So those are probably like my top three. Yeah, general overall experience I think is the most important thing. So fast, like seamless, like not two lunch breaks and a breakfast break, like stuff like that is all very helpful. So um, <laughs> yeah, nice judges, people who know what they're doing, and, and a good environment. So I think all those things. Yeah. Kind of oh, factor also in. a store a store that smells nice. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, hygiene is important. <laughs> Um, this one, okay, this one, this next one is sent in by Pokey Drummer 97 We're going to leave this one for next week because I think this one is a longer-winded conversation, but I'll read it out just in case. Um, going over, like, stuff on, on odd or different rulings, such as if I yoga loop you on turn two of extra time, like, straight up stealing your last turn, more, like, obscure rulings and how that may affect the game. So, we'll go over that next week. I think that's a interesting topic we can go okay. over when we have a bit more time. Uh, Andrew Estrada, the GOAT, writes in, what is the Manta GOAT leaderboard? And the answer is neither of us are on that, so it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm just playing. I actually don't know what the goat. <laughs> no, I don't, is. I don't. I don't know who's on the. I like on the goat leaderboard either. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I go there like three times a week, but I never save for the tourney, so I don't know who yeah. the goat is. I, I'm I played. Sure, sure, they're great. I think I played one Manta locals. So am I on the board? I think we're I both on the Manta board, locals? but like, it's okay. not like anything relevant. I won like season one of like Manta leaderboard or whatever, and then after that, I was just like, okay, I'm good now. I'm good. We're in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, so Gavin Zoe writes in, one billion lions or one of every Pokemon? Okay, it's Pokemon, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, Dialga can learn, like, pause time. <laughs> like, Yeah, Dialga would, would auto a billion lions by itself. Bro, you could tell me, like, a trillion lions. Like, the Pokemon would still win. Like. <laughs> Let's get one Pyro. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jack Knight writes in, uh, how to make your testing group communicate well together to practice and refine to be good enough for to win a regional? And I think that was supposed to be a question. So, like, how do you get okay. your testing group to do that? Like, how to make a testing group? Or, like, if you already have one, how to, like, get them to... I think it's, like, you already have one, and you're trying to, like, figure out mm-hmm. how to, like, work together and, like, communicate and refine your efforts in the best way possible. Yeah, I think there's a, a, a couple approaches you can take. Uh, like, so, for example, like, Azul's group, like, they all play the same deck. So you have everybody working on the same deck. So you're really refining, like, one archetype, getting really good at it, like, understanding its matchups, getting a good list which I think is a fine approach, but I think it's a little tough since I think most people like, uh, especially if you're not like at the highest level, it's kind of hard to just switch to like one specific deck. So people like playing their own archetype. So I think one thing for a group is maybe if you have experts or just like good players of a certain, like of different decks, like maybe you have one guy who's good at Charizard, like one girl who's good at like Maridon, like something like that. Like you guys can like work together to like test those matchups against the person who's really good at it. I think that's really good. 
I just think like talking a lot, like kind of like discussing what you think the meta game is going to be like, like what tech cards you can play. I think is good. And I think when you practice, like practice with like purpose, like don't just play games against each other and like don't do anything. Like play games against each other, record the results. Be like, all right, if I play Charizard against Gardevoir, like we play five games, like write down who won, write down why they won. Um, and then also like I am a big proponent proponent of playing open-handed when you're testing, especially with your group. Um, just so you guys can like discuss like every single play because maybe you're like missing a play that like someone else can spot. So you think like a matchup's not good or you're like, oh, like I'm losing this game because like I'm not drawing well. But I think when you have a group and you're working together, like you basically have like two to like X minds like working together. So I don't know, just like having everyone play together, like maybe like two people play, like you have two people like watching as well. I think is really good and it helps once you have everyone working together you can kind of like figure out the optimal way to play things so those are some tips you can use uh different for everybody obviously but find what works like best for your group i think for me my answer would be similar to what we discussed earlier in the sense of like find like-minded people so a lot of people in like a bigger testing group are not like-minded right like it's just natural um finding mm-hmm. find people who like vi- not only vibe with you but vibe with your ideas and and want to like create something productive out of nothing. Like the worst thing you can do is like press people to be like, "Hey, do you want to like same sixty? And they're like, "Ah, eh, maybe." And you have like have to convince them into it. I think like people are on the same wavelength who agree like, "Hey, we should both tackle this together. We should go about making the similar archetype together." Is a great way to go about it if that's what you want to do. Or honestly, sometimes like personally, my best runs have been when I've disassociated completely. When I kind of just <laughs> did my own thing because. A lot of the time, like, at least I find that I, like, think and, and I really value people's opinions. So when I hear things and even, like, passerby talk or whatever, like, and I hear people saying, like, oh, this is sick, this is sick, whatever. I'm, like, influenced in the sense where I'm, like, oh, okay, maybe it is sick. And it kind of, like, clouds my opinion of what I I think I know. So mm-hmm. I found something for me specifically that works is just kind of not, like, muting it all, but taking everything with a grain of salt. So some people work better in a team. Some people work better individually. It's about kind of finding that balance. Um, yeah, I think also when you work with other people, they, they can check your biases, right? Like, yep. if someone really, for example, like, if I love a deck, like, Chen Power or something, I'm like, oh, like, this matchup's free or, like, whatever. Like, someone can be like, no, it's not. Like, you're just, like, you like it too much. So, you, like, kind of get those, like, rose-colored glasses sometimes. So, yeah, yeah, I think just having, like, yeah, lots of people to discuss with, like, obviously helps you find your blind spots. Yep. Uh, Billy Chan, good guy Billy Chan, wrote in what <laughs> to play for San Antonio. We kind of already covered that. But, yeah, one of the top four decks for sure, I think. Um, uh yo play play uh play cloth play cloth yeah i agree play cloth. <laughs> uh ldf good guy ldf also uh what's both of your favorite decks that you've ever played to a tournament i already know your answer it's the title of this podcast well i mean i don't know if that's my like favorite deck i've played to a tournament though i don't know oh i guess like, i guess the question is a little bit different yeah yeah i mean like clink clang is probably my favorite deck of all time just because like i won nationals with it when i was a kid like that was my first deck when i became like a really good player that's why our podcast is named the shift cure podcast um but i would say like i actually really love playing flygonic selgor that's probably my actual favorite deck if i like remove like sentimental reasons uh like whenever i play old format like that's probably my favorite one to play so i'd probably say that deck um it's yeah it's just really fun as other than that i'd say i really liked when i played mega gardevoir like at NAIC one year, like the one that has Despair Array. That's one of my favorite decks I've played. I played Tool Drop to a Cities one time. That was really fun. There was like a Sigalyph that ability, like for anyone listening, was like you can have up to four tools. There was like a Trubbish where it's like 20 for each tool in play. Like the deck was like tier three garbage, but like it was super fun to play. So I really like that deck too. Yeah, it was a cool deck. 
I was going to say personally that my favorite was my 2013 Worlds build, which was Dark Red Garbodor. It was kind of like obscure at the time. But mm-hmm. I actually don't think that's my favorite. I think my favorite was actually what I played in 2017 to NAIC, which you can actually see on Limitless. Um, it is an awful, awful build. But I enjoyed it because it was like, it was a Lucario GX, Zark GX, Lycanroc GX, like Lolan Muck, like just cluster of hell kind of deck that I just like threw it all together. And, and I think 72nd place. Yeah. <laughs> I think why I enjoyed it so much was because that was kind of like my return to the scene. Like I had taken a long time off mm-hmm. and I came back and that was my first like big run in a long time. So it kind of just hit different for me. So I think that's my answer to that. The deck sucked, but it was a lot of fun. And like, you know, when you do well, like for that first time or you do well for the first time in a long time, it just kind of hits different. You enjoy everything. So yeah. That was, uh, that was definitely a big one for me. Uh, Search Tino writes in, what is the best way to practice for big events? How much time do you put into practice? Do you practice versus every meta deck? And how do you build your perfect 60 cards? Okay. Lots to break down that question. Um, so I'll start with the building 60 cards. So I think building 60 cards is you have to find the right balance between consistency and like, I call it juice. Like when I say juice is like having a, a chance to win against every deck almost, or like having like strategy. Like, so for example, like if you're playing, um like Gardevoir like Jirachi gives you like a chance against like Lost Box like not that you can't win or like you play a card like Turo or like I don't know make like Snorlax better or Mirror so like find the balance between those cards that like you don't need in your deck and like consistency I think is important so like for me it's just like metagaming like what matchups I feel comfortable with and then like if there's some matchups I'm not super comfortable with that I think are going to be big and that I think can be improved with just like some slight adjustments like one or two cards that's kind of how I pick if a card is going in my deck. Um, also, if like they have utility. So like for example, for LASC, like I played Turo because I'm like, oh, like it's just like good to heal. It's good to pick things up. It's good to pick up Luminion. If I play Snorlax, like I had a lot of utility. So like that's kind of good. Uh, in terms of testing, like to be honest, like I don't test a crazy amount. I mean, I play a lot of Pokemon. Like I do a lot of coaching during the week. So like through my students, I also play a little bit. Um, like I do tournaments. For me, like, I actually lean really heavily on my network. Like, I have a lot of players who I trust. So if they tell me, like, this matchup is like this, like, this card is good because of this matchup, I normally trust them. Um, and I feel like I'm at a point where, like, I've played so much Pokemon in my life that, like, my fundamentals are pretty solid. So I find, like, if you've played Pokemon for a while, like, you know how to sequence, like, you know, like, I don't know, like, what order to play cards, like, how to make end games. Um, so I think definitely once you start getting, like, a stronger base knowledge that like carries through no matter what the format is no matter what the deck that just comes with time so i think whoever's listening here like if you're like a newer player like it might take you a few years to get to that point um and also like with that base like if someone tells me like in paper on paper or through text or like they just tell me in person like how to play a matchup like i'm pretty good at just like retaining that like understanding what they told me so uh yeah i think just like one of the big things is like leaning on people you trust like it's almost like outsourcing your testing (laughs) um Mm-hmm. is that but like yeah if i'm gonna actually play games like i just sit down like i figure out the matchups that i like i'm comfortable with already like i don't even waste my time practicing those like any matchup that i know how it goes like i'm not gonna test like gardevoir against charizard like i'm not gonna test gardevoir against like maridon i'll test like gardevoir against tina for example because that matchup's like more fluid like there's lots of different lines like i'll test mirror because there's lots of different lines so find the matchups you're not comfortable with or the matchups that like play out differently game to game and like really make sure you understand like all the options you have in those matchups. So I think that's how you get really quality testing for your for your decks. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. And and I actually think what's interesting about his question, he says, "What's the best way to practice for big events?" And like my answer is, I still don't really know. Um, I've been playing <laughs> this game a long time, and I still don't really know because 
prior to TCG Live, I was a big advocate of like, yeah, PTCGO testing. Like, just get in your reps. Like, even if you're just playing against yourself, like, whatever, just get in your reps. Um, now I'm not so sure because it's so inefficient to test on there. And like, obviously, like every month your ladder resets, you're playing against like Sprigatito themed decks again. So it's not really as useful as it once was. Um, at least for myself, I can speak to this. Uh, I'm a very like solo tester. I always kind of like do my own thing. Uh, not, and not to say that I don't trust people. It's just like the people in my circle often play different decks than me. And, uh, I think it's okay to to be different in that sense and and want to play your own thing. But when you do want to play your own thing, you have to put in a lot more work than if you're just going to like piggyback off someone else. So, um, yeah, it's hit or miss. Like when you're playing something different that no one around you really knows and can teach you, you obviously learn it yourself. So you got to put in a lot more, more time into it. And I would say like practice, practice against most of the meta decks. You don't have to go into depth with everything, but just have a general idea of what you're kind of going to do. Um, building your perfect 60 cards is, is difficult. That's, I think, the hardest part. Uh, a lot yeah. of that comes from, like, 10 p.m. staring at your list laid out on a hotel room bed. <laughs> so that does happen. But it, just trust yourself and trust your instinct a lot of the time. And yeah. don't. And I, I would say the other thing is don't punish yourself. If you, like, go back the next day and you're like, oh, I should have played this card. Why didn't I play this card or that card? <laughs> your knowledge is only as good as it is. And hindsight's always twenty twenty. So cut yourself some slack in that sense. And if you're ever in doubt, I would say always play the consistency card. Yeah. Um, moving on, Lucas Zing, my biggest op says, what happened at round three of the banana games league challenge last Wednesday? And I'm not going to answer that because he's not listening to this. (laughs) And if he is listening to this comment, hashtag Anil is a bot underneath this tweet and I'll buy you junior chicken. Uh, cause he's not listening. I know he's not listening. So it's okay. Yeah. No one tell Lucas about that either. All right. That's cheating. Yeah. yeah, Make make sure he finds on his own. I don't want to buy this guy junior chicken. So please, um, (laughs) Tyler Hannard says, why do players sleep on archetypes considered easy? Quote unquote. Uh, despite them being the most effective for tournaments at times. So I think this question is mostly like about like Maridon in general. So yeah. what do you think your theory is? Uh, I mean, I think this question kind of like, I kind of fall into this because I normally don't <laughs> play these decks, but I think one is ego and like two is like enjoyment of like playing. So I think one, like people like, I don't know, for whatever reason, they're like, oh, I want to do well with like a deck that takes skill. Like I don't want to play a no skill deck because like it invalidates like my accomplishment, which like obviously it doesn't. But I think a lot of people think like that um i think the other thing is like there's also an illusion that these decks like have less like i shouldn't say illusion maybe but like they in general have less like skill ceiling or like different plays available to them like the games are like different um so people kind of stray away but, like that doesn't matter if a deck is just like crazy strong like for Maridon, like iron hands very strong like being able to ride you very strong so yeah it's linear but like it's strong and like for me the reason i usually stray away from these decks is like the enjoyment factor it's like just me, like, as someone who plays Pokemon, like, I love decks that, like, evolve. Like, I love decks that have, like, all these fun plays to make. Um, I think a lot of people who play, like, have that as well. Um, I used to always say, like, my biggest weakness as a player was, like, I would, like, never play Tier 1 because I would just love playing, like, like decks like Flygon, like I was mentioning earlier. Um, so I think it's mainly a combination of those two things, just, like, the ego and enjoyability that, like, kind of, like, stops people from playing these decks. Because um, we saw, like, Maradon is, like, obviously, like, I'd say it's a tier one deck. And every time I look at like the day twos of regionals, like a lot of good players are not playing Maridon. Like obviously there are tons who play it. Like, like what's called Yuho. We have um, JW one regionals, like Jesse Parker. Um, But yeah, it just seems like a lot of top players just like, or people in general are just like, oh, I don't want to play a deck that's viewed as like a no skill deck or they just like don't like playing them. So uh, that's why I think it is. Like, Neil, do you think it's something different? Uh, no, I agree with you. And and I think what's what's funny about this whole thing, and I, I love this question for this for this matter, I learned this lesson the hard way this year. 
like very much the hard way. And I think a lot of it, I, I touch, I like really resonate with one of your points there where I think like the whole like gratification factor, the enjoyment factor, I didn't feel great like winning games from like going iron hands turn one against people. Like that never felt good. Um, the way I felt good was when I was like zationing with nine energies to win a game because I felt like I worked for it. So that was a, that's a big factor for me, at least when it comes to like not wanting to play easy decks, quote unquote, um, it is more so just the way the style of the deck works. Like in the past, I haven't really shot mm-hmm. away from playing easy decks. Like I don't mind playing easy decks. Um, just the ones that are good right now are kind of just beat down decks. So that was kind of a reason for me. But then like on the other, on the contrary, like I was struggling so much this season and now I have over like 300 CP with Maridon. That's over half my invite <laughs> with this one yellow deck that I perceived as easy that I thought like, oh, I don't want to play this deck. It doesn't have any skill to it, whatever. Um, so yeah, like 100%. I learned that lesson the hard way. Like I was 100% wrong in not wanting to play that deck. And I think it's important to kind of like look at yourself in the mirror and realize when you're wrong. And that was one of those times where I was very wrong. And I thought it was an easy archetype. I thought like, okay, like me playing it versus some guy who just started playing the game playing it are going to achieve the same results. Like what does it matter anyways? And a lot of the time, yeah, that's probably correct. But um, there are little plays that you can make with any deck in this game that will separate you from other players. And, uh, mm. and like, even when I started playing Maradon, I was not playing it well at all. Like, I was getting rolled, and, and that's fine. So, like, it, it just went to show and it taught me a valuable lesson that every deck has skill. Every deck kind of has that ceiling if you're willing to put in the time. It's just, like, I think people do shy away from it because they think they're capable of more, which is not a bad thing to do, but it's important to realize when sometimes, like, you got to drop down to, uh, to try every deck. So that's my perspective on yeah. it. Uh, Joe Ferrari writes in, do one of cards make a big enough of a difference? And I would assume this is more so geared towards like, I don't know, like Jirachi, Tomb, Manaphy, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, I think Pokemon's probably the one card game where it makes the biggest difference. Like I legit think like one card can sometimes swing a matchup like 10 to 20%. Um, like for example, like if you play Minior, like against Snorlax, that turns like some matchups from like unwinnable to like favored. So yeah, one card definitely does have a big difference, but you have to look at it like, you can't just be like, oh, this one card like wins me this matchup, so like it's auto include. Well, if that one deck is like only five to ten percent of the meta, like okay, you're swinging like maybe like one match a tournament. So yes, it makes a very big difference. But like if you're gonna put a one card for one matchup, like that matchup like better be like really popular and like very like unfavored for your deck. Like for example, like if I can like when I play Gardevoir like at LISC, I'm like okay, my Tina matchup's probably fifty fifty. I could put Jirachi and make it like 65-35, but I'm like, I think I can beat it anyways. Like, I didn't put it in. Now I like might change because the metagame's evolved, but yeah, I think try and find, like I've said this before in the pod, like if you're going to put a card in your deck, like a tech almost, like try and find a card that has utility across multiple matchups. Um, but like, yeah, sometimes just like if you can swing a matchup, like I don't know, like maybe like 20% from one card, then like, yeah, it makes a big difference. So yeah, yeah I'd say that's basically my answer. I think the big thing too is like, and this is like one of the things that we used to think about a lot last season when like Mew was running around and Drapion was a card. So you're like, look at this one card and you're like, this card swings this matchup by like over 30%. So do you play it? And like the answer to that, like is that there's no good answer. Like you'll look back on it after and you're like, oh, I hit nine Mews. I wish I played Drapion or, oh, I <laughs> played zero Mews. Why did I play Drapion? Like <laughs> there's no good answer to this. Yeah. So I think, one of cards are as good as you think they are. So if you have a feeling that mm-hmm. you want to play it and 
you think there's a, a reason to play it, then play it. But for the most part, and the lesson yeah. I kind of learned recently, which is weird, like learning this recently, but I always now I kind of bow to the side of consistency. Like I'm a big proponent yeah. now of just like, okay, I have this one card. I can play mini or win stall, but uh, I'd rather just play the game and just figure out like, all right, maybe it's a 40, 60, whatever, but at least 40% of the time I do have a chance. It's not like it's a zero hundred or ten ninety, mm-hmm. right? So I think if that one card takes your like twenty eighty matchup to a fifty fifty, yeah, like I think it's definitely worth the play. But err on the side of consistency yeah. the most you can, especially at big tournaments, because you're playing yeah twenty seven games a lot of the time. Because you have to weigh what you're taking out, right? Like just for example, like let's say I'm playing Minior. Like let's say I take Ultra Ball out of my deck to play Minior. Okay, so like let's say I win my one Snorlax stall match I play. But, like, how many games am I, like, not winning because I don't have an Ultra Ball when I drew Minier? How many games am I losing because I start Minier? So, like, yes, like, it has, like, a huge effect in that one matchup. But something like one Ultra Ball, like, over the course of, like, 9 to 15 rounds could be the difference between setting up in a game or not. So, it's hard to quantify, like, something like that. But, like, that's just something you should be keeping in mind. Like, if you're going to take a card out of your deck, like, always ask yourself, like, okay, like, what situations does, like, this next card help? Yeah, that would hurt. When you're testing as well, like remember all the times that you drew Minior where it could have been an Ultra Ball or like because it's so hard to quantify. So when you're testing, I think that's the most important time to kind of reflect on that. Um, Okay, moving on. Mark Levy says, uh, how do you go from someone who wants to play to I got my first cards to my first tournament to I'm joining the community or I I have a team, I have friends to becoming a champion and everything in between? Like, how would you kind of go about that mentality swing like what's your best way of kind of building up yeah i mean i think it's probably most people probably the same experience but might be a little different so like i'll just give mine so uh when i was new uh i was always like as a kid i collected the cards like all that i think most people do um i saw like the tournaments on youtube but then i downloaded i didn't download i played ptcgo when it was in the browser so like i started by playing online so i think a lot of people nowadays probably just like play live they really enjoy it which i did then I went to I wanted to start going lo- like play in person. So I got my mom to take me to a league. Uh, so I'd say probably like find a locals if you're new. Uh, and when you go to locals, like that's a really good place to, like meet friends, like meet people who you can test with, all that. Like that's kind of like your like gateway to the community, I'd say. And then normally like if you make friends like a locals, like they'll introduce you to their friends or like something like that. And then from there, like you can just like go to, like a challenge, a cup. Like that's where you get a taste of what it's really like, like competing. So you can kind of figure out like okay, like. How close am I to being, like, ready to compete? Like, what do I need to work on? Do I need better decks? Do I need better cards? Um, and I think once you're ready to get, like, really serious, like, I think we've kind of talked about this already, it's, like, find people who, like, you can test with, someone similar to you. So, like, for me and Anil, it was each other. Like, for some people, like, I don't know, they use, like, Discord, or, like, Twitter to find people. Like, however you can find, like, like-minded people, I'd say that's that's probably it. And then, yeah, then you just got to start playing Pokemon. Like, start going to the Cups, start going to Regionals. Like, you're going to get destroyed. Like, your first, like, I don't know, maybe your first, like, 10 Regionals. <laughs> or, like, 10 Cups, like, you're not going to do well. But if you stick with it and, like, you actually, like, commit to improving, like, I think that's kind of, like, how you, the pathway to starting to become, like, a, a champion, as Mark calls it. <laughs> yeah, I agree with it. I agree with everything you said. And I think, well, if you're listening to our podcast, you're most likely a more seasoned Pokemon player than a beginner. But um, I think most people would agree that, making friends in this community can allow you to skip a lot of steps. So if you know somebody who already plays the game, and this actually happened to me like three times the last week, which is astounding. Um, But like three friends that I had had from high school were like, and they they might be listening to this. And if you are like, shout out to you guys, man. Um, They're like, (laughs) what do I do? Like, is this deck good? Is this something I can do? And I was able to point them to the correct resources 
and like kind of get them on the right track. And, and you can kind of skip so many steps in this day and age by like, oh, here's Limitless, here's Poker Beach, here's the Facebook group to buy cards, whatever it is, right? So making friends mm-hmm. is really your best tool and knowing people is always going to be the best way out because when you need something as well and like you're in a lead cup, you're in a lead challenge, you're in an ID situation where you can just ID with someone and they can help you out or whatever. Um, it's important to have those friends. And and that's why like trolls and people who generally aren't good people don't make it very far in this community anymore. Yeah. There used to be a lot more, but now the community's so tight, like people get exiled really, really fast. And being a bad person doesn't really get you too far anymore, which honestly I'm very thankful for. So Yeah. That, agreed. That's <laughs> that's my opinion on that. Um Ricky TCG asks, how do you adjust decklist between BO one and BO three events? Hmm. I don't, I don't know if I adjust my deck list that much. I adjust my deck choice. So maybe I'll talk about that. Um, yep. Like some decks are better suited towards one format or the other. Like a deck like Gardevoir, for example, it's actually better. In be- it's obviously still good in best of three, but it's better in best of one. Because like a deck that's prone to tying a lot, like you'd prefer just to play best of one. Um, a deck that's a little more inconsistent, something like a Chen Pao, it's actually better in best of three. Since like if you brick a game, like you still have two other ones to like come back. So... I'd say it probably, like, factors more into, like, my deck choice. Um, but I don't know if I, like, change my list a lot, depending on, like, best of one or best of three. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think it factors your, in your best your deck choice a lot, but not so much your list. Um, like, yeah. there are decks that are just way better. BO1 runs that are way better. BO3, and that's just the nature of the game. So I don't think it changes too much. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, last one here, and this one I'm actually really excited about talking about. Um <laughs> Okay. Kisa asks, uh, Kaisa, Kisa, some, sorry if I butchered that. Um, for the average player, <laughs> is testing rogue for professional context a waste of time? And where does rogue testing become reasonable? Do you mind if I take the stab at this? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so when it comes to rogue testing, it really define like it, you really have to define what rogue testing is. So a lot of the time, and like the times where I've been successful with rogue decks, specifically personally, um, is when I took like a tier one or tier two archetype and kind of put a spin on it. So a good example, I guess, would be LAIC this year, where like you had a tier one archetype in Maradon, and I put a spin on it that people didn't really understand or expect. And, I, and historically, that has been like my best way of attacking Rogue. So I would say no. I don't think testing Rogue for pro- professional context is a waste of time by any means. I think in any tiered system, there's always going to be some sort of like counter to the counter or whatever it is and, and a lot of the time rogue decks don't really fall under counters but they more so fall under their own entities that people just aren't always prepared for so like a modern day example would be something like i don't know like reggie drago v-star or like playing <laughs> reggie's or reggie drago like lost box whatever right those are decks that people aren't tested against and they don't really understand what they do and i think there's a huge surprise factor that comes in with playing decks like that because a lot of people are very dependent on like streamlining their games and dependent on like oh i know this matchup i have to get out x y and z and and when they don't have that like knowledge and not even knowledge of what your cards do but knowledge of how to play a matchup it can kind of really throw people off so i don't think testing rogue for tournaments is a waste of time at all i think every single tournament we look at our day two results and we're like how did this get here so I think there's definitely a way to go about it. You got to figure out what works best for you. But for me, it was always like tinkering top tier decks and then kind of putting a rogue twist on them. Um, And I think testing it for, you have to test based on your goals as well. So if you're walking to NAIC and you need your invite, you need 60 points to get your invite, you're probably not playing rogue. But if you're playing for funsies, like you're just chilling, you want to play a league challenge, whatever, do it. Why not? Because it's a bigger story if you make it with a rogue deck than if you go 4-0 with Gardevoir, for example. So that's my take on it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, my take on it is like if you're trying to just like if you're newer, like more intermediate, like you're trying to get better, like I think it's the answer is like probably like yeah, you don't want to be playing rogues just because like you could just spend that time playing like established archetypes and like getting good at those. Um, but like, yeah, like if you enjoy playing rogue decks, then like yeah, I guess it's not a waste of time. It's just it's just harder to do well with the rogue deck. Like there's a reason that like we have so many established metagame decks is because like they're proven, they're tested. Um, the one thing I will say about playing rogues is it definitely helps you understand like get like up your understanding of, like the metagame and like how decks work and like how to counter decks and like deck building. Because to play a rogue deck and to be successful, like you have to accurately predict what the metagame is going to be. Because the whole point of a rogue deck is like you're countering. Like what the decks are, are good. So like for example, when Mewtwo V Union got created, Sander and his group are like, oh, like uh Palkia is gonna be a popular deck. Uh so what if we like play Mewtwo V Union since Palkia can never hit more than two hundred damage? So they had one, a very strong understanding of what the metagame was gonna be like, and then two, they were able to like deck build with that in mind, figure out what a deck's weakness is, and then counter it. So I think it is good from the sense of like learning stuff like that like even if you don't end up playing the rogue deck to a tournament it definitely does help you get a deeper understanding of like decks weaknesses and stuff like that um but yeah it's just like there's so many people who play this game now like there's so many like online tournaments that like it's really hard to have like a true rogue so like yeah like it's almost like having like a like a tweak like you're saying like on an established archetype is like more realistic um so yeah like if your main goal is just tournament success i'd say yeah it's probably your time's better spent just like playing an established deck um but if your goal is i don't know like emil was saying like to like not to just play it safe like you're going for a win you want a deep run you want to like be satisfied playing a rogue and like yeah like play a rogue like i think it's it's definitely more fun to play pokemon that way yeah i agree with you and i think there's a lot of a lot of like emphasis when you first start out on wanting to play with your favorite pokemon or wanting to play with your favorite cards and i think that's cool it's cool to always explore that kind of get Mm -hmm. that out of your system so you can like kind of move on and take it more seriously when you want to (laughs) Um, so with that being said, we're an hour and 21 minutes into this episode, which is by <laughs> far our longest episode, almost double. Yep. Um, if you're with us still to the end, thank you so much for sticking with us. Um, I mean, this is a hit. I really enjoyed doing this. I love the AMA stuff. Yeah, it was so, really fun. Yeah, we can, uh, we'll do it again in a couple of weeks and look forward to hopefully recapping big, big regionals in San Antonio next week. So if you have any feedback for us, thank you for following us at all times. We're going to be doing a holiday giveaway as well, so stay tuned for that. We're giving away a uh, 151 Pokemon Center ETB, which is a uh, huge prize for anyone who wins that, all covered by us. That is a big prize. This is a thank you for everybody <laughs> listening and, you know, all that stuff. So Merry Christmas if we don't see you. We will see you, right? Yeah, it's still two weeks. We're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're good. We're good. <laughs> we will see you all next Wednesday, and uh, have a great week. Good luck in San Antonio. Yep. Later. Peace out. <laughs>